subject. I think this conversation is long overdue, uh, especially amongst you know Christianity. It's something that we're we're afraid of. Uh, I think it's something that mostly because we don't understand. I think we see something like this mental health, and I think the assumption is that this guy's going to get into some secular uh, humanism, right? And uh, I'm just going to walk you right through Scripture. And so, so I'll just let you know, right, July 29th, it was a Sunday, July 29th, 2018, you can do the math, it wasn't that long ago, I resigned from my ministry position at a, at a church not too far from here. I, I served in ministry for 22 years. Depression, anxiety, and a panic disorder, it beat me. That's all there is to it. It beat me. I couldn't go on any longer. Didn't want to be around people. It's, it's still kind of fresh, but I think there's some power in that. And I think it's okay. What we need to do, the more that we have these conversations... And what we'd like to do is just set a culture at Victory Baptist Church and other churches. Uh, we, we've done other mental health Sundays at other churches, and when we've got some scheduled for the rest of the year, it's exciting, right? But, but I think it's really important that we, we, we really set a church culture where it's okay if you're not okay, right? Let's get rid of the facade, right? And, and that, that, it, that it's okay to, to ask for, for prayer, not just for our diabetes or for our back, but if we could ask for prayer... For the, with our anxiety, with our depression, and not let that be some dirty little secret. And that's what it was for me. And I'm going to tell you the story here just a little bit of what happened. And there was a traumatic event that, that occurred for me, and then, I, and then I, I held this thing in, and I wouldn't grieve it and wouldn't talk about it, anything like that. I, I, was, I, I consider myself a pretty normal guy. The Heon's right over here. They've known me for probably 25 years. They knew me when I was a kid from Bible college, 18 years old, hung out at their house, swam in their pool. I was normal, right? Okay, yeah, so I was pretty, I, I was just a pretty normal guy, all right, so I just got a cringe, and I got two, two, two folks that I love here, Angel, Sam, they were in my youth group, I was their youth pastor, loved these two to death, and I was normal, right, I wasn't a drama queen, right, well, I mean, kind of, so, but I mean, I was just, I was just kind of a normal guy, I grew up in San Diego, so I'm a Charger fan, I'm a Padre fan, and I know some of you are thinking, that's how I, why he struggled with depression, right? Because I'm a Charger fan, right? You, you mean-spirited people, right? I'm a Padre fan. They've hurt me for years and years and years, all right? But, but not, honestly, just a normal person would have never thought, would have never thought that something like that could happen to me because that happens to other people. You read about it, right? It happens to other people. And it happened to me. I couldn't believe it. And I knew something was desperately, desperately wrong. I invite you to come back tonight. Tonight I'm going to um, just, it's a message entitled The Climb. I'm just going to kind of, I'm going to walk you through exactly the help that I got. There's another thing we've got to say. I needed help. You were a preacher. Yep, needed help. You, you were a minister for 22 years. Needed help. Needed it. And that's okay. That's okay. We're human. We're flesh, right? So tonight I'm going to, I'm going to walk, I'm, I'm going to talk about some of the bad counseling that hurt me. Start to realize some of the same Christianese that I was throwing out. Not only is it not helpful, can be very hurtful, right? Sometimes the best thing to say is nothing. And just cry with somebody. Just be there. Literally just be there. I'm going to talk about that. But this morning, like, we're going to talk about what and why. That's uh, the question we're going to ask. What, what is depression and anxiety and why does it happen? Right? That's what we're going to talk about. Let, let's have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, pray that you do work in our hearts. Uh, please help us. Please uh, help me to be aware of time and just give me wisdom in managing that. But I pray that you work in our hearts. I pray, especially if there's any in our midst that are not saved, God, I pray that, that the love of Christ would just be overwhelming through this message, Lord, this message from the Bible. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, very quickly, I'm just going to show you just a couple of really sad stats. One in five adults will experience mental illness. One in five, 20% of the population. You can do the math, all right? There's, there's going to be a number of people in here right now. You, you don't know it. 
right now that are struggling with mental illness. One in 25 will experience serious mental illness. When we're talking about that, we're talking about something that's debilitating. For me, I couldn't go on. Depression was one thing. Anxiety, for, for me, that was really hard for me to get used to that idea when, when a number of doctors first told me. I, I was having this weird nausea. I would dry heave. I, I, it, it was terrible. And I, I would go to doctor after doctor. It's like, oh, the only thing I can think of is anxiety. I'm a man of faith. I'm, not, I'm anxious for nothing, right? I'm careful for nothing. That's a, that, that was really hard for me to get. And then the panic attacks came. That's when it got really scary, especially for someone who's always in front of people. You know, I'm a music guy. I'm a preacher. I'm a teacher. And so my biggest fear is that I would have one of these panic attacks in front of 400, 500 people. And so that was always on my mind, and it just added to my anxiety every single week. I, could, I, couldn't, I couldn't get on top of that thing. And I finally, I had a panic attack right before church, July 29th. So it was a Sunday. I resigned that Sunday. Didn't even give two weeks notice. I knew I was done. That type of thing. One in 25. Um, one in six youth, six to 17, experience a mental health disorder every year. Kids. I know it's easy to say, man, no, this generation, they're, they're, they're so dramatic. They're so sensitive. They're snowflakes. Okay, I understand what you're saying. But at the same time, there's some stuff going on in our society that's feeding this that we need to fix in our homes. We need to fix just in the, the way we think of things, the way that we need to fix in, in, in our churches. That we, that we can help this. Let's not add to the problem. It's there. It's there. Um, so this is really sad. Suicide is the second leading cause of death among people aged 10 to 34. You've got to do something about that. 10, second leading cause of death. And the average delay between the onset of symptoms and treatment is 11 years. For me, it was four years. I'm going to tell you about the traumatic event. I struggled for about four years, and I finally got some of the help that I needed, right? For most, it's 11 years. It's 11 years. Go to that next verse there, Joe, if you would please for me. Um, in a moment, I'm going, to, I'm going to tell you my story, and, and it, could be, it could very well be that as you consider my story, you, you might say, wow, that's bad, but come on, it's not that bad. I, I could have made it through that. Right, that's fine. Fair enough. Maybe so. It doesn't change your responsibility of what this verse says. It says, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. So after you hear my story, you think, well, you, seriously, you, you couldn't weather that? Fine that I'm the feeble-minded. If you had known me three years ago, I'm feeble-minded, right? You know what your responsibility is as a strong person? To comfort me, all right? Hey, hey, man, seriously, he's not strong enough. He was in ministry 22 years. He went to Bible college, seminary, all that stuff, and he preached and he taught and all the... Well, if I'm weak and you're strong, what's your responsibility to support me? And had you known me three years ago, two years ago even, and I would have spewed out all these irrational thoughts and all these crazy questions... You know what your responsibility towards me would have been? To be patient towards me. Because, yeah, I was losing my mind. I was hurting so badly. I couldn't make sense of my situation. I, I didn't know how to explain it. And I, I was so embarrassed. And so if you consider yourself the strong one, the Hebrews 11 faith type of person, then your responsibility to the rest of us, because I guarantee 90% of us are feeble-minded, weak, and we need some patience. If we're honest, right? We could all use a little bit of patience. All right.
Now, I, I don't want to overwhelm you with scientific facts, because I, I want to be careful with this, because my, my brain works a different way. I, I do. I want, I want to stress that I, I'm into sports. I like, I, like, I, like, I like football. I like basketball. I like curling in the Winter Olympics. I like it. But I, but I also, I, I could nerd out on, uh, on di uh, nature documentaries on PBS. Anybody else like that? I love watching lions eat stuff. I love it, right? But I, I, I just love science. I, I love learning about how, how the And there's nothing wrong with science. Us Christians can be so weird when it comes to science, right? I'm talking about science, truth. I'm not talking about theories. There's dumb theories out there. One of them is called a theory of evolution. It's a theory. It's not a fact. It's not even close to fact, all right? But we're talking about real science. It's no threat to the Bible, right? Truth is just, is just truth. And so when we uh, talk about mental health, me as a music guy, it helped me make sense of it by putting a music analogy to it. So here, in a nutshell, mental illness is this. It's a choir with a director that can't lead the choir, with a director that can't direct. Okay, so for example, um, a choir has different sections, right? You've got the soprano section, you've got the alto section, you've got the tenor section, you've got the bass section, right? And then even within those sections, you may have subsections. The sopranos may divide into first soprano and second soprano, the altos, probably my favorite part, some of you heard my daughter Jenna sing. Beautiful, my favorite singer, and probably it should be your favorite singer too, right? She's got that deep, rich voice, a contralto, just beautiful song, right? And so you got altos, contraltos, first tenor, second tenor, bass, baritone, all these different things. And the brain is the same, it works the same way. It has different sections and they serve different functions. Typically in the choir, you've got the soprano section and they're going to carry the melody, right? But the brain has a section called the amygdala, which takes which kind of controls emotion and stuff like that and the fear response. And then there's the thalamus and there's the hypothalamus and the anterior cingulate, right? The different things, all right? And so what happens with the brain with mental illness, it's stress that takes the balance of power away from the choir director, which is the prefrontal cortex, all right? The prefrontal cortex is the choir director that makes all these different parts work in harmony and in balance, right? So usually, Hey, we've got the melody working over here, right? We've got some harmonies over here. But every once in a while, we need the tenors. I like the tenor section, <laughs> all right? Because the tenors, you know, we can be divas, but that's all right. You know, we like to show. we got to hit those high, high A flats or what have you. And every once in a while, you got the melody. And every once in a while, you just need something. Excitement, tenors, right? But then we can only handle so much of that tenors. All right, so chill out a little bit, okay? And let's bring it back over here and balance. And that's okay, right? We make everything work this way. And so oftentimes in life, that's how things go. So think of the tenor section as what's called the, uh, the hypothalamus, the hypothalamus. And that is the part of the brain that controls the panic response, the stress response. So every once in a while, we need But when the danger passes, choir director goes like this, okay, stop. Because I'm, I'm thinking about rationally now. Now we're just going to go back on with life and beautiful harmony and all that. Mental illness is when it's and the tenors won't shut up. And it stays in a panic. Whatever different section. And you know what does that? It's stress. And see, it's okay to for the director to say, okay, let's, let's cut out all balance and we need to get a whole bunch of energy and action from here for just a little bit, that's okay. When you can't shut that off, is when it becomes very, very unhealthy. You know what does that? It's stress. And little bits of stress through our lives are okay. It helps keep, keep us alive, 
right? I mean, think about that. I mean, we don't have to think about it. We go to the grocery store. We go to Popeye's for the best fried chicken ever, um, you know, for the fried chicken sandwich. We, we go to those places. But before, you didn't have that, right? You had to go out, um, you know, if you were, you, you know, Filipino like me, we go run out into the jungle and go get some little monkey and, you know, but, but there's not just monkeys out there, right? But there's also, you know, panthers, right? And all of a sudden, we're going through the, through the, through the jungle, got my little, my, my blow gun, you know, all of a sudden, panther, right? And I run or what have you, right? And then the danger passes and everything goes back to normal, right? But if you can't shut that down, we're talking about a traumatic event in which the chronic stress stays there it gets harder for the body to bring itself back to a healthy baseline and sometimes you need help with that and that's okay and that's okay and we're going to talk about that especially tonight so don't 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 uh, don't miss that so it's a choir director that won't lead that is not able to lead the choir well can we find mental um illness in the scripture no we can't the Bible tells us that uh, the, the, the scriptures are, are profitable, right? We're given all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Even this realm of mental illness, it's just we don't know what we're looking for, I think. We don't, we don't know what these things mean. Would you consider this verse here, Psalm chapter 42, and verse number 5. So if you read that whole psalm, you'd get a sense of the desperation that the psalmist is in. He, there's something wrong, he doesn't know what it is, and he's talking to himself. Some of us have done that. Like, what in the world is wrong with you? So you're kind of losing your mind a little bit, and you know it, and it's frustrating. Consider these. Why art thou cast down, O my soul, and why art thou disquieted in me? Okay, a couple words I want you to consider here. First is the word cast down. That word cast down, interestingly, means this. It means to sink or depress. I think we have a slide for that, Joe, if you take me to that next slide. To sink or depress. Isn't that interesting? Right. I don't know exactly why this is. I think it's just a, a product of the fall, but our brains have a negative bias. We react more strongly to negative things, right? So for example, um, if somebody calls you beautiful, it feels good, right? It feels good. But when somebody says you're ugly, it hurts more than the compliment feels good, right? For most of us, I know there's some of you out there, just somebody calls you beautiful, it's like, I know, right? And somebody calls you ugly, it's like, you don't know. Just, Haters going to hate, right? I mean, it's just, right? But for most of us, somebody calls you ugly, it's like, I felt ugly, now you're confirming it, oh my goodness, right? I mean, that's, that's how most of us are, right? And so it hurts more, right? The bad thing hurts more than the good thing feels good. Consider a $20 bill. If you lose, if you find a $20 bill, it feels good, right? But when you lose a $20 bill, Oh, that's so maddening. It hurts more to lose the $20 bill than it feels good to find the $20 bill, right? And that's just how our brains work. So here's what happens in life, right? So we're going on life. Here's healthy baseline with our emotions, our mental health, right? We have a bad experience at work. We get cast down, right? We get cast down. And then we have another bad experience. We get cast down. Then we have one good experience. It can pop up a little bit, right? And then you have another bad experience. Then a good experience pop up. Before you know it, bad experiences have so overwhelmed you, you've been cast down, and now you're depressed. Here's what we need. Because our brains are naturally more reactive to negative stimuli, this is what we need. You're at work, what have you, bad experience, boom. Come to church, you're encouraged. You get a blessed text from a friend, you're encouraged. You go to, you go to prayer meeting, you're encouraged. Then you have another bad experience, boom. 
and then then you get a phone call at the right time you're encouraged you have you have a blessing from a bible study you're encouraged right and something else good so what are what do we need we need more positive stuff happening in our lives than we do negative because if we have the same amount of positive this is what happens we need to be overwhelmed with good that's what the church is supposed to be for Wait a minute, hey, people are just being self-centered if they get discouraged. Wait a minute now, hold on, you're not reading the scriptures. Every single one of us have the need to be encouraged. If it were not so, God would not have commanded it. God commands us to, to use gracious words and to be encouraging and to be loving as a church family. That's what it's for. And we can protect one another's mental health with just a few texts a week. Seriously, it's that simple. Now, no, don't, don't get me wrong. Obviously, people are going to go through really traumatic experiences and are going to need to be guided a little bit more. But for, for most of us, as we're just going through the daily grind of life and this is what's happening, and we don't get any encouragement, we don't have any fellowship, it just, all of a sudden, before we know it, we don't even know. I've talked to so many people since I've gone on what I kind of bingly called my transparency tour. Once I decided to just be open about it, people have reached out. It's been amazing. People have reached out. Some of them have no idea what happened. Just ask a couple questions. They've just been living in some stress. They haven't gotten a compliment in a long time. And they go to church. Don't not be that way. You know, not be that way. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? This is why. This is why you're depressed. Be involved in a healthy church. Be around positive people. Make boundaries with toxic people. It's really important to protect your mental health this way. But then this verse also has another interesting word. The word disquieted. The, the psalmist says, why art thou disquieted within me? That word disquieted means to be in great commotion, a tumult, a loud noise. Ever feel like there's just noise inside? I, I mean, it's just, you, you, you're just anxious, anxiety. And see, that there's a de- depression and anxiety connection right there in the Bible. Why? Because a lot of those same circuits are kind of just working together, right? I like the circuit of that card. Everybody click their things. <laughs> it might be mine. It could be mine, too, so let's, let's see here. Not mine. <laughs> oh, there you go. All right. It's being towed. No, I'm just kidding. But with the anxiety, let's put it in these terms. So worry is concern over a, pen, a potential negative event, right? If we're honest. Not everybody, because we're Christians, we're supposed to be people of faith, right? So we don't have worries. We don't worry. We just trust God, right? We're supposed to be careful nothing but worry is when we you know we have concern over something potentially negative right most of us do it you hebrews 11 strong people just help us okay stop judging us and help us all right show us show us the ways all right but so anxiety we're talking about a disorder is feeling that worry it's the disproportionate physical response to the worry that's what um, anxiety is um so so for example so the brain especially the part of the brain called the thalamus is no matter what you're doing your brain is always asking this question am i safe that's how we're designed god wants us to survive through life right and so there's a part of the brain that's taking in sensory information and is always asking itself are you safe so you go outside you walk down those steps all right your brain you're not even thinking about it this is amazing but your brain is just making calculations things like that if it's rainy and it's a little bit more wet you don't think about it, or maybe you do, but your thalamus is taking in that information and say, oh, it's wet, I probably should take a little bit of care. Right? And so 
the prefrontal cortex does that. But, you know, obviously there's portions of the brain, that prefrontal, that, that rational part of the brain, takes a little bit longer to grow in, in, in boys um, as compared to girls. That's why boys' car insurance is so expensive. All right, so yes, the rational part of the brain isn't working as, as, as it should for, for a long time. All right, so I've had this happen, and uh, you may, Angel, you may have door knocked with some people in our youth group like this, but, but imagine you're, you're out in the community doing some outreach, right? And so you're getting ready to knock a door, and then all of a sudden, and so you're, you're, uh, you're, you've are you got a, a blind corner, all of a sudden you hear a dog bark, right? Okay, so the brain is working, right? So the thalamus is taking in that sensory information, hears the bark, and is working in conjunction with a part of the brain called the hippocampus. We'll call this section here the Campus. The hippocampus is the memory center of the brain. It stores memories. So you are the people that remember everything. You guys drive us nuts, all right? We just let some stuff go, please, all right? Okay? And so the thalamus is working in conjunction with hippocampus, digs into there. Oh, here's the bark. Sends the information to the rational part of the brain, the director, the prefrontal cortex, and in conjunction with some stored memories, oh, it's a chihuahua. And so it comes up with a rational plan. All right, if Chihuahua wants some, field goal. All right, so that's, a, that's, that's how it goes. All right, no, don't do that. That's not right. That's not very Christian, okay? I'm just kidding. All right, um, I've got recipes for, um, no, I'm just kidding. Another fil <laughs> terrible Filipino joke, self-deprecating Filipino humor. All right, um, but, so, I mean, that's how it happens for most people, right? You hear Chihuahua, okay, no, you know, okay, fine, I'll protect my ankles. All right, but more than likely, it's just going to bark at me, and I could go, go to the door, right? But not everybody's brain works that way, all right? Sometimes, all right, you're walking along, blind corner, dog barks, all right? Thalamus is taking that information, working in conjunction with hippocampus. But in this person, the hippocampus has some different memories, different memories. And then all of a sudden, for this person, instead of sending the information to the prefrontal cortex, which can process it rationally, it bypasses the prefrontal cortex and goes right to the amygdala, the emotional part of the brain, the fear center of the brain, which then signals the tenor section, right, the hypothalamus, to go into panic mode, right? And all of a sudden, and you're ready to throw down with a chihuahua, right? The fact that it's a chihuahua doesn't change. It's just the reaction of our brains are different. And so I know it's easy to laugh at the person. Like, what, you're afraid of a poodle? It's just fresh from the grooming. It's, it's all poofy and everything. You're afraid of that thing? So wait, 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 hold on, hold on a minute. There's something inside there. Maybe when they were four years old or five years old, something really, really bad happened. How about somebody dig into there and figure it out? And so you know, the dogs are one thing, but oh, it happens in, in life. You, you, take, you take somebody who, who you, I, I just consider a, maybe a young lady who seems like they're spiritually healthy and mature and, and everything looks good, and all of a sudden they get into a marriage relationship. Now some issues start to surface and they have some trouble, right? You know, the easy thing for us and the ignorant thing for us is say, you just submit, woman. That's your problem. You're strong-willed and all this. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. Maybe there's something stored in here that's really, really painful some really deep pain, maybe some kind of abuse, maybe some time of overbearing authority figure, and all of a sudden she finds herself in this marriage relationship and it's stirring up some memories and, and now some issues are coming up. Hey, instead of condemning, how about somebody asks some questions and somebody just listen? 
Because as the Bible says, the things in the darkness must be brought to the light and let it be touched by the love of Jesus Christ, by the truth of Scripture, and just by some empathetic ears that just say, wow, I couldn't imagine how hard that would have been. Not try to give any answers. Sometimes that's what people need. That's anxiety. That's the noise that gets, that gets stirred up in people. And oftentimes it just takes some people willing to listen to help bring this stuff out that's deep in there. That's getting pulled up, whether it be by a, the bark of a chihuahua or by a marriage relationship or by a job conflict. These different things that just stir up memories in our hearts. Let me show you one more. Would you consider Psalm 55? Here's the verse coming up. My heart is sore pained within me and the terrors of death are falling upon me. The terrors of death are falling upon me. Fearfulness and trembling are come upon me and horror hath overwhelmed me. Folks, I think we're looking at PTSD, post-traumatic stress right here. Terrors of death are falling upon me. Horror hath overwhelmed me. Here's a person that's just seen some terrible stuff. And let me get this straight here. It's not, PTSD isn't just for people who've gone literally to war or to Afghanistan or Iraq or what have you. You know, there are people sitting in this room who are suffering from PTSD right now because of an abusive relationship. Horror hath overwhelmed them. I'm going to tell you my story in just a little bit, but there was a time, I grew up in San Diego, five miles from the ocean. Going to the beach was a part of our lives. And no trouble with it, but there was a season, and I still struggled with some, whenever I saw the ocean, I would get nauseated. Often I'd dry heave, heart would race. I'll explain that in just a little bit. Next verse is telling. And I said, oh, that I had wings like a dove. For then would I fly away and be at rest. You know what the psalmist is saying? I'm so overwhelmed with this horror. I, I just want to stop thinking about this terror. If I, if I had wings, I would fly away and escape. They just want to get away from it all. One afternoon in the midst of my depression and anxiety, I came home from the church office, and it was just probably just 5.30, and I, I went to bed. I, I, and I wasn't sleeping well as it was. I, I laid in my bed, probably literally fetal position, wishing I could stop thinking about it. Just this thing that I couldn't get over. And uh, I've, ha I've had back issues. I've had three back surgeries. And uh, so I still, I still struggle with that. And so I have, a, I have a rolling prescription for Dilaudid. Some of you may know Dilaudid as a very strong pain medication, stronger than morphine, right? And, and so I have that. I had this thought. You know, I could pop a couple of those pills and just stop thinking about it. Yeah, I, I was a preacher at the time. I'd served in ministry for 20 years. And I was getting ready to abuse my prescription medication. I wasn't, try I wasn't looking for a buzz. I promise you, I wasn't looking for a buzz. I just wanted to stop thinking about it even for just a few moments. That's all. I had wings just like a dove. I just wanted to fly away from this thing. Kind of a terrible analogy, but it's literally what it is, right? No, I didn't do it. It scared me. I got up from my bed right there, and you could ask Brenda, my wife. I said, hon, this is what I was tempted with. You need to pay attention to my medicine. You need to pay attention to it. No, I never did. Now I understand the sensation. That's why if you've gone through something traumatic, if you're just struggling with something for a long time, this idea of wanting to fly away from stuff is real. But you need help. You just need, you, you need somebody to, and I'm not saying you run to professional help right away or anything like that. Sometimes you know, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm going to talk about that. I got help, all right? But I think if we get at these things early enough, with enough, with enough of us who just learn to be empathetic, learn to listen more than talk, right, then people can help themselves. We can help other people deal with their pain in a much more healthy way than going to drugs of whatever kind, whether it be prescription or illegal drugs, right? Because of my back trouble, my three back surgeries and all the medication I took, my, my, my kidneys aren't very healthy. So I have a lot of kidney stones. 
Um, they're terrible. They're terrible. My, I have so many kidney stones. My doctor um, labeled, he calls me a stone farmer. All right? That's nice, doc. All right? It's not really a sellable commodity, but that's how it is. So every once in a while, I give birth to these little stones. It's terrible. All right? So, um, but anyway, so in the midst of my depression, one, there, there's, a, there's a period in which a kidney stone hit me. If you ever had one or known to, they'll, they'll tell you, it is the worst pain you can have. It is awful. But at that time, it was such a relief. Why? You know, and I thought about that later. Physical pain is way more desirable than emotional pain. Even pain as bad as a kidney stone. I'd much rather hurt physically. When we were in youth ministry, we had tried our best to help a few young ladies who'd gotten into self-harm cutting. I didn't understand it. I'm sure I threw some Christianese at these young ladies and I feel so bad about it. Now I understand. There is something in here that is hurting them so badly that they're desperate for any distraction, even physical pain. And I wish I had asked the right questions. Let's bring that out of the darkness and let's let Jesus touch it. Let me just listen to you, right? This desire to escape can be so dangerous. It's okay to cry out for help. You need to cry out for help and just let somebody hold, hold your hand through it, guide you through it, or maybe just be there with you through it. Post-traumatic stress. July 26, 2014. Go ahead and throw up that next slide there. Um, in 2013, we, I, the church I was serving in, I was the youth pastor there for 18 years. And in, in the summer of, of 2013, I let the pastor know, I said, you know what? Hey, Tommy, the guy that's helping me, he can run with this. I mean, he's ready to go. And uh, I, I think it's, it's, it's time for me to retire from youth ministry. I've spent my time doing this. I didn't beat up any junior hires. Please praise God. I was tempted. But, uh, you know, uh, but we, we made it through. But let's get out of here before I finally body slam a junior hire. Right? And, and I, I never stopped loving it. But it just felt like, okay, it was time to move on. So we started the um, transition period for a year. <clears throat> and so we had taken missions trips. Every year, we did 15, 16 mission trips. We, we did some awesome things. We, we went to Alaska, not my favorite thing, uh, uh, Utah, um, India, just amazing things. And so when I first thought, okay, this is my last year, man, I'm going to go out with a bang. We're going to do something huge. But I was thinking, ah, I've got this money this, that I've raised. I want to save some money for Tommy so he has a good start on it. And so we did something a little bit more low-key, and we went to, uh, to Washington State and just helped the church planner there. We did a vacation Bible school. It was awesome. Hi, Angel. It was awesome. My kids saved. Um, families were getting ready to come to church that Sunday. But it was tiring. We were out was so tiring, but we were also tired, huh? And uh, um, so I decided it was one of the best ideas I ever had. Saturday, July 26th was nap day. For that, we took, I, I ordered everyone to take a nap. Yes, these high schoolers. Nobody fought me. Everyone took naps, especially this guy, especially the old guy. We all took naps. We, we planned this just beach outing. The, the church planner said, hey, let's just go to Ocean Shores. It's a bonfire. Great idea. So we go over Saturday night. Uh, Saturday afternoon, we go over to Ocean Shores, and uh, we, we park on the sand there, and we're going to get ready to dig a, a pit to have a bonfire. Um, most of the kids, some of the kids say, hey, can we go on the water, Jay? I say, yeah, go on the water, have fun. So a bunch of the kids go running on the water. One boy by the name of Paul, one of the best Christians I've ever known. I mean, teenager, adult, whatever, just one of the best Christians I've ever known. Of course, he stayed. He says, yeah, I'm going to help you dig that thing. He was going to let me do that by myself, and he did most of the work anyway. And, uh, but he helped me dig that thing, get that fire going, right? And once, once things got going, <clears throat> he said, Jay, are we good? He said, we're good, man, get out there. So I watch him go running off, and then so I, I look out in the water, and the kids are a little bit further out than I, I expected them to be, right? 
Um, I didn't think it was dangerous, but, but, uh, but they were a little further. So I went out to the shoreline. And I stepped on the, I just stood on the shoreline, and the youth pastor eyes started working, right? <clears throat> so I considered their depth. And then it was just about knee. Um, some swells would come up and go to thigh or maybe waist, whatever. So I'm watching that. And I'm looking for rock outcroppings. Everything's good. Everything's clear. I'm looking at the power of the waves. Nobody's getting thrashed around too hard or anything. Everything looked pretty good. And then some of the kids that were staying at the bonfire, they, they told me they, they thought I stayed there for about 15 minutes. And I wasn't, by that point, when I, when I made my evaluation of the situation, I was completely at peace, and I just stood there, and I, and I just thanked God. I said, God, you let me do this for 18 years. I knew this was, I knew I was transitioning in just a couple months. God, thank you for letting me do this for 18 years. Letting kids have a good time, showing them, showing them joy in the Lord, showing them how to lead people to Christ. God, thank you so much. And I just enjoyed them. I went back over to the bonfire. <clears throat> of course, I'm a youth pastor. I got I, I to keep an eye on them. So I stand on this side of the bonfire, keeping my eye on the kids in the water. So smoke's coming at me. But I'm going to stand on this side because I'm going to keep an eye on the kids. One of the young ladies came out from the water, and she just wanted to change. She was soaking wet. So I wanted to give her a discreet place to change. Our, our van rental was, was over on the sand. I got in the van, trying to pull it out. It's stuck in the sand a little bit. Got to rock that thing back and forth. Got out. Didn't want it to get re-stuck. So I circled the parking lot a little bit, finding a good place, a place that was discreet for her, and also a place that was stable enough that I wouldn't get the van stuck. I finally parked, turned off the, turned off the engine, Opened the door. As soon as the door opened, I heard the first screams of emergency vehicles screaming towards the shore. I knew right away my kids are in trouble. It's my kids. I got out. One of the had come running back to the bonfire. Angel, I hope it's okay to say this. Angel's still in there. I go, no. We go running. We go running to the. We go running to the water. By that time, there's people over there. There's, there's other people swimming. There's, there's people uh, in the public that, that are there. There's a couple ambulances, a uh, um, uh, lifeguard, all these things. And, and we, we get over there, and I, I see Angel. He's come out. He's throwing up seawater. Somebody's helping him. I don't even remember who's helping you. And, 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 and somebody's there. And I start to count. And before I was hoping to get to 12, somebody said, Paul's still out there. The kids, I don't remember this. The kids told me I fell to my knees. I was in the water. I fell to my knees. I do remember what I said. God, you have to push him in. God, please let me make this right. You have to push him in. Obviously, at some time, I stood up and we started walking the shore. They got a lot of the kids in the ambulance. Started walking the shore. There were, you know, paramedics, lifeguards, all these people, police officers. I get ahead of them because I purposely, I want to be the first one to pull them out. By this point, I already knew if God was going to push him in, he's going to need to be resuscitated. I knew that at that point. I get ahead because I'm, I, I'm praying in my heart, God, let me make this right. Let me give the first breaths. Let me at least give the first breaths. Then I'm going to let the paramedics take over and save his life. But God, would you push him in? Let me be the first one. His body never washed off the shore. No body was ever recovered. I couldn't get over that. Oh, it was on my watch. Those are my kids. I've been in more dangerous places on Indian reservations and, and, and in remote Alaska and on the Yukon. And I, was always, I always knew there was some danger and I was committed. I would give my life. I will die before any of these kids die. And I couldn't get over it. And I sunk and I sunk and I sunk. I didn't tell anybody. And before I knew it, six months of griefs became a year, which became two years. By year three, I was having panic attacks. By year four... I was done. There's no way I can keep going. There's no way. And so, 
into that, especially in that first year, some of you know our, our son, JJ, has autism. He's a special blessing, but he's a special challenge. Um, we've tinkered with medication. Around this time, he just hit a growth spurt. JJ, he's six foot four, 240 pounds, all right? And he's always been prone to some um, uh, physical violence. When he's 10 years old, you know, it's a little different managing him. At 6'4", 240, it's literally dangerous. So at this time, just a couple months after the drowning, JJ's medication just needed some tinkering. And as we're tinkering, he's getting into these explosive, um, rages and explosive fits. This is all happening at the same time. What's going on? It just kept sinking lower and lower and lower. Now once again, fair enough. If you think you could have weathered that, fair enough. I get it. I'm feeble-minded. I'm good with it now. I'm okay. I'm weak. I don't care. You could call me whatever you want if you think you, were, you would have been strong enough to weather that. But if you would have been, your responsibility as the strong one is to support the rest of us that are like, no way. Couldn't do that one either, Jay. Couldn't do it either. So I'd like to give you a look at Psalm chapter 77. And I don't have the verses up here on purpose because I want you to see this from the Bible. So Psalm chapter 77, and, and I have on the, on, the, on the slide here, the music man's depression. And this isn't just music. It's because that's what resonated to me as a music guy. My people told me to read the Psalms, and that was terrible advice because the Psalms, they hurt me because they're so emotional, right? If you read the Psalms, they're, they're incredibly emotional. They come from a place of deep pain, and, and some of them that resonated with some of it just, just really hurt me until I got to Psalm 77. And you could probably see in your Bibles there at the beginning of the chapter, it says, to the chief musician. Oh, a Psalm of Asaph. So here, this is a music guy. We probably see eye to eye on a few things, and then I got going on it. And this guy, Asaph, we don't know a whole lot about him, but we do know he was hurting badly, badly. And as you'll see here, we're going to get a scriptural look at depression. We've looked at why and what some of the physiological things that are going on. So what is depression? What, 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 what does it, I guess, feel like? What's going on with the person? Let's try to get the full ugly picture here, and we're going we're gonna to fly through these, all right? The Bible says, look at verse number two. In the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. My soul ran in the night and ceased not. My soul refused to be comforted. Hey, this first thought, this first thing I want to point out about depression, it's this feeling of being stuck, being stuck. I have been discouraged, deeply discouraged. I've gone into my, my, my pastor's office a couple times in, the, in, the, in those two decades that I was in ministry, wondering if I should go on because of discouragement. Depression's a whole different animal. The things that used to comfort me, that, that would typically comfort me, they didn't work. I was just stuck in this thing. Yeah, uh, being stuck in depression is like, I mean, think of it this way. It's, it's like you're watching um, CNN nonstop, right? I mean, it's just, it's just stuff. It's all negative stuff. Every once in a while, they come up with a positive, uh, um, positive story, right? And you could kind of enjoy that, but you come back, and, and you're back to your default setting of just stuck in this grief or stuck in this thought. So here's what happened to me. Of course, I walked around. Here's my thought. I failed, I failed, I failed, I failed, I failed. I didn't have anyone to help me process my thoughts. So that's what my thoughts, I failed, I failed. And then it took a really dark turn. Thinking I failed is one thing, but then when it turns to this, I'm a failure, I'm a failure, I'm a failure, I'm a failure, I'm a failure. That's really bad. And then there's a really important biblical principle I want you to see. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7. It says, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. This is a, this is a, a thought that I preached for almost two decades of teenagers, mostly for, for music, right? We wonder why you know, our society is, is really sensual. 
whole lot of lustful, vile stuff going on, right? Well, why is that happening? I mean, consider the music that our young people listen to. It's filthy. And so as young people, they're listening to stuff about fornication. As a man thinking his heart, so is he. Hey, I tell young people, you listen to music about fornication, the Bible says you're a fornicator. So, whoa, 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 no, Jay, I'm not a fornicator. No, that's what the Bible says. As a man thinking in his heart, so is he. You're, you're listening to this gangster rap about killing cops. You're a cop killer. So, no, Jay, I've never done anything like that. Hey, what does the Bible say? As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. But I realize now it's not just about music. It's about what we meditate on. And I spent way too much time thinking I'm a failure. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. It doesn't matter what the truth was on the outside. In here, the only truth that mattered, even though it wasn't true, I am a failure. I couldn't get unstuck from that. Needed some help getting unstuck from that. I'll talk about that tonight. Would you be here tonight for that? All right? Just a sensation of being, of being stuck. You've got to have somebody help you talk through your stuff, talk through your thoughts. If you get stuck in that, that's what you become, your thoughts. Would you look at verse number, verse number three? Three. I remembered God and was troubled. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. Asaph, you remembered God and it troubled you? Yep, that's what he said. So what kind of, what kind of person are you? So here's the next concept. Spiritual anguish. Depression, spiritual anguish. So the depressed person, for the depressed person, a lot of spiritual concepts can be very, very troubling. Like, whoa, well, you're just, you're just a, you lack faith, right? You don't trust God. Do, do whatever you want with that, but this is just what happens. So let, let me show you a couple examples of what really bothered me. Right? Would you show the next verse there, Joe? Job 4, chapter 3. Job was going through a hard time. He'd lost his kids. He'd lost, his, he'd lost everything. And then his friends say this to him. Behold, thou hast instructed many, and thou hast strengthened the weak hands. Next verse. Thy words have upholden him that was falling, and thou hast strengthened the feeble knees. But now it has come upon thee... And thou faintest, it touches thee, and thou art troubled. What are saying? Job, man, aren't, you, aren't you a man of God? You used to help other people, and now you can't help yourself? That really killed me, because I did. I spent 18 years helping teenagers and families and bus kids and helping people as much as I could, and I found myself in a place I can't help myself. That really hurt me. So the Bible's supposed to be a comfort, right? No, not at that time. It was really, that really hurt. It was the wrong verse for me at that point. Next one. Next verse. Psalm 127, too. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. One of the issues in, uh, in depression and anxiety is, is just sleep troubles. I couldn't sleep, whether it be because of nightmares or fear of nightmares or just thinking through stuff. I couldn't sleep for four years. I couldn't sleep. And then I come to this where someone says, read the Psalms, it'll help you. I come to Psalm 127 too, and he says, he giveth his beloved sleep. What am I supposed to do with that? I mean, do you understand what, what, what kind of pain that caused me? I can't sleep. God, am I not your beloved? I know he loves me, but I can't make that one work in my mind. I'm begging God to sleep. I need sleep. I know how I need it. I know how, how terribly I'm functioning, but I can't sleep. What am I supposed to do with that? Spiritual anguish. Sometimes here, all, all I'm saying it's not always appropriate to throw verses at people. It's not. I, mean, this is, I know some of this is elementary. You, 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 don't, you don't need a certification. A lot of times we could, prevent, we could help each other so much by saying a lot less. I think we need a verse for everything. And one, one more example. Proverbs 27, 12. A prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself. This one got me every month for four years and still gives me trouble to this day. When I was a teenager, I made a commitment. I, was, I think I was 16, 17 years old. I would read a proverb a day every single day for the rest of my life. 
Whatever the number of the day is, I would read the corresponding proverb. Drowning happened on December 26th. That early morning, we got an emergency flight back home. It was the 27th. I didn't want to miss my proverb. I was on the plane, opened up my Bible or my phone, and I read Proverbs chapter 27, and I got to this verse. A prudent man foreseeth the evil. This is God. God, I, I looked at their depth. God, I looked at the power of the waves. I looked for rocks. God, why couldn't I foresee the riptide? And because, God, I promised you I would read this every single day, every single month, the 27th. You could ask Brenna. My devotions on the 27th weren't the most comforting thing. I promised God I'd read it every single day, every single day, and I did. I kept my promise to him. Let's just use some discernment when we, when we use the word of God. For example, the Bible in 2 Corinthians tells us that uh, it describes our affliction as light, light affliction. But it's probably the wrong time to show that to somebody who just lost their job, right? Can we agree on that? Someone just lost their job to say, hey, brother, that's light affliction. No, it's terrible. They lost their job. Pray for them. Give them money if you can. The, the Bible says that. Don't just say be warmed and filled. Give them some groceries. Meet some, actually practically meet some needs. Let's do some real stuff here. Rather than throwing something out like that. It's the Bible. Wrong time for it. Wrong time for it. Spiritual anguish. You look at verse number four. Verse number four, we, we looked at that. Thou holdest mine eyes waking. Sleep issues. You're going to skip over one there, Joe. Sleep issues. Um, you know, the problem is the brain is working so hard to make sense of the trauma or the stress. Remember, the brain is always saying, am I safe? Am I safe? Am I safe? Am I safe? Something really bad happens. The brain go, kicks into overdrive. Making sure, okay, am I safe? We don't want to do that again. That's why when I'm at the beach, if, if, it's, if it's a flat, sandy beach with no rocks at all, my heart will race a little bit, right? It, it's just the brain saying, am I safe? No, this isn't a safe place. This isn't a safe place. Something bad happened here. Let's not go there, all right? And more than likely, I'll, I'll, I'll get nauseated and stuff like that. It still happens, to be honest, right? The brain is try, trying to make, make sense of all this stuff. It's working really hard. That's why it's hard to sleep. But even if the depressed, depressed person looks like they sleep eight or nine hours, they're in bed, and they're unconscious, it doesn't mean they're getting restful sleep. Studies show that in what's supposed to be deep sleep, the prefrontal cortex tends to be working overtime, working harder in those who are suffering with depression than those who aren't. What's going on? The brain is just still trying to make sense of what's wrong. And so the sleep isn't truly restful, which makes things worse. That's why people, you need to get help, professional help, getting some sleep. If you go through long periods of time without sleep, it's not healthy. It's not healthy. You might need to get some help with that. Um, next, we you look at just a couple more here. Uh, end of verse number four. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. Cannot speak. Now, this is especially a problem for men. Men, I, I need to, like, can I tell you with a little bit of loving firmness? Um, you, you, we, we need to stop this. Men, we need to talk. We need to talk. Um, sometimes your wives get, try to get you to talk and you, you don't want to talk. I'm telling you, it's not healthy. There is, uh, there, there is physiological physiological good stuff that happens. There's a, there's a release that happens when you just verbalize a frustration. We're just talking real science here. But what do we do as men? We just keep everything in, right? But I mean, it's, it's one of the things. I'm so troubled that I cannot speak. Sometimes, for me, I was just, I, I felt like I was always on the cusp of the ugly cry. You know what I mean? There's cry, and then there's ugly cry, right? And that's really uncomfortable. It's really ugly. I didn't want anybody to see it, not even Brent. I didn't want my wife to see it. And, and I felt if, if, I, if I said a couple words into what I was feeling, that I would just explode into this ugly cloud, and I was just so embarrassed by it. Sometimes, you know, our brains are just working so, so, uh, so hard that we can't rationally put out the, the right words. Silence. Sometimes people just aren't ready to talk, but they should. You need to work to get there, and we'll talk about that tonight. 
And the next, silly thoughts. Silly thoughts. Look, look, at, look at verse number seven. Remember, this is Asaph. He's a Bible case. He's a, he's a godly Bible. He's the music director um, of God's people. And he says this in verse number seven. Will the Lord cast off forever? It's like, what? Asaph? Will the Lord cast off forever? And will he be favorable no more? Asaph, is, you're talking about God? And you're wondering if God will not be favorable? Is his mercy clean gone forever? Asaph, what a, don't say that. You know God is merciful. Doth his promise fail forevermore? Asaph, blasphemy. You're wondering if God's promise is going to fail? Look at verse number 9. Hath God forgotten to be gracious? Okay, Asaph, that's it. You're a heretic. I, 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 I cut fellowship with you, right? These, these are silly thoughts. Remember when we talked about the brain? When this stress occurs, prefrontal cortex, the rational part of the brain, knows God is gracious, God is merciful. But when this stress happens, anxiety, depression, PTSD, it takes it, the, the power away from the rational part, puts it on the emotional part, and here comes these irrational thoughts. That's why it takes a lot of patience. Let me just say this. Hey, those of us, we are, we are, I'm standing strong with us people who struggle, right? Us feeble-minded folks. But we need to know, I need to know this. I can be really frustrating to work with. Because sometimes I'm going to ask these weird questions. I'm going to say things that are off. I have to acknowledge that. And so I have to minister grace to those who are trying to help me because they're going to be like, what the world are you talking about? Where did that question come from? I don't know. I have no idea where that came from. I, I know it's not right. Job even said this in Job chapter. Do we have Job chapter 6? Remember, his friends are going after him. He says some things. You read through Job, and Job's not saying all the right things. But he says this, Do ye imagine to reprove words and the speeches of one that is desperate, which are as wind? He says, wait a minute, you're, you're, you're attacking what I say? Don't you realize how desperate I am? Don't you know I lost all my kids? I lost everything. I lost my business, everything, and you're going after my words? They're just as wind. Words for the wind. So understand, when the hurting person says stuff that doesn't make sense, people, they're desperate. It's words for the wind. Just let them go. Just be there for them. They're rational thoughts. We could be helped back into rationality. But the silly thoughts will come. And the last thing, would you consider this, the solution. Solution. Now, this is just in a nutshell solution beg you to come back tonight. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you exactly the counseling that, that helped me get through this. But in a nutshell, look at verse number 10. Verse number 10. The Bible says, And I said, this is my infirmity, first and foremost. Acknowledge there's a problem. And interesting, that word infirmity literally means illness. What are we talking about here? He's the sniffles? He has a man cold? No, no, it's not. This is all really emotional difficulty. And he said, this is my infirmity. This is my illness. It's right there in the Bible, folks. So, but acknowledge there's a problem. So I have to be real with myself. And this is, a, this is a continuing journey for me and Brenna. I have to remember that, hey, I, I have a tendency now to go into sky is falling mode pretty quickly. I used to never be that way. Ask Angel, ask Sam. I was always Mr. Optimistic. Glass was not just half full. It was always three quarters full. But now I could really easily go into glass, you know, sky is falling mode. I have to remember, uh, that's kind of how I am now. And it's not rational. And it's, the sky's not falling. Knowledge, there's a problem. It'll help you through some of those thoughts also help you get some of the help you need right just to talk find a find a find a godly friend who knows how to listen right if, if, if that godly friend talks too much just find another godly friend <laughs> that knows how to listen honestly honestly that, that, that's the truth the truth right. um look at verse number uh continue to verse number 10 but i will remember the years of the right hand of the most high interesting i'll remember the years of the right hand of the most high so most people are right-handed right i'm right-handed all right if i throw a football all right i could have some pretty good form i'm old but the form is still there, right? But if I try to go with my left hand, all of a sudden I throw like a girl, 
all right? And um, it just, it's just different. I have more control with my right hand. And that's what he's talking about. With, when we think of the right hand of God, we're talking about when we knew that God was in control. Now, obviously, God is always in control. But we, always, we don't always feel like that. So in those moments where things feel like they're out of control, deliberately think on better times. On those seasons where you knew God was, where there was no question about it. That's okay. I'm not talking about always living in yesterday's glory, but in those moments of chaos, and deliberately think of when God's right hand was in control. And then lastly, um, verse number 13, Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Stay committed to the sanctuary. Stay committed to church. Here's the thing. We need to, if we are going to have people run to the sanctuary, run to church, we need to have a culture and atmosphere that says it's okay, that you're not okay. You don't have to be embarrassed. We're going to walk with you. We're going to sit with your pain. We're going to be right there with you, all right? We're going to try to bear your burden and let this be a safe place. I know that's kind of a buzzword, but it's really a good term. Church should be the safest place for hurting people, to be honest. And this is the place we're commanded to bear one another's burdens. And so if I'm going to encourage people to run to church, we've got some work to do then as a church family. Love people, be there with them, know how to listen, know how to help people. We're going to look at a few more of those details tonight. I'm going to finish with it. Let's finish the story. So when, after a few days, maybe a few hours, I talked with the kids, and after getting their stories of what happened in the water, I was able to piece together what happened. And some people had the presence of mind to swim parallel to the shore, ride in a rip current, and get out. Paul, we don't know exactly how, he, he got himself back to shore. And he looked back at the water, and he saw two friends out in the water, and he went back out in the water. And two of those boys, one by the name of Justin and Angel here, told me there came a point where they just lost all strength. They tried to swim, right? And all of a sudden they lost all strength and they just kind of, they let it go. At that point, the, there was no fear. Angel, I remember you telling me, at that point when you just let it go, you knew you were just going to wake up in heaven. Pretty, pretty amazing, right? But he woke up on shore. And so did Justin. Same thing with Justin. He was done fighting, had no more energy, he was exhausted. Just let it go. At that point, no more fear. He thought he was just going to die and wake up in heaven. Paul went out, gave his life for his friends, pulled them in, got swept back out. The Bible says, greater love hath no man than this, and a man laid down his life for his friends. And Paul did an amazing thing, and it doesn't surprise any of us that he would do such a thing. But you know what? Jesus Christ did even more for us. He is our greatest friend, and he gave our lives for us. I'm telling you, Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the best friend you could ever have. And now, yes, we are the body of Christ, and so we're the ones who are going to touch people, right? Jesus Christ doesn't work in these mysterious, you know, ethereal ways. We are the body of Christ. I'll tell you right now, though, if you're not saved, if you don't know for sure, you go to heaven when you die, Jesus died for you. He rose again. You're a sinner. You need his forgiveness. But if you'll trust in him only, in his finished work on the cross, the fact that he gave his life for you but died and he rose again, he could be your savior and you can have a home in heaven. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you.